You're now listening to Sound Talent Media. Check out more shows at SoundTalentMedia.com. Special guests and off topics in this segment, anything goes, you're listening to 3 p.m. What's good, everyone? Welcome to this episode of 3 p.m. with Heather Hatch. Hey, yo. What up? And my name's DJ. My name's Charlie. My name is Sean. And this is the 3 a.m. podcast. We tell scary stories. Make jokes, hang out, have fun. Yeah. So Heather's back. Yeah. Dude, by popular, popular demand. demand. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Apparently, like, uh, true crime's a thing, and people are into that. Uh, <laughs> no, but uh, we loved having Heather on last time, and so we're super excited to have her on again. You are the most detail-oriented person we've had on the show, oh, including wow. us. Oh, dude. dude. I'm definitely not detail-oriented. So, you would throw up at, like, my research before I come on, because I'm like, uh-uh. <laughs> I, like, watch, like, five minutes of a YouTube, then I, like, move over to a wiki and just kind of, like, look at it. And, and it's like, not just the research, but the sequencing. <laughs> like, you have everything <laughs> planned out perfectly. Oh, nice. The chapters are exactly where they need to be, but... Dude, that's exactly, sorry to like, that's exactly when she was sharing with me that original time when I was just on a call with her. I was like, you need to just come on the pod and do this because <laughs> yeah. like it helps me see it all and understand it really mm-hmm. well. Anyway, so many people in our DMs being like, dude, Heather did such a great job. So we're happy to have you back. Dude, you have no idea what that's done to my confidence. <laughs> <laughs> Good. I just listened to my vocal fry last time and it was like, oh no, Heather, after five minutes of this, unfortunately, you have to turn it off. Yeah. <laughs> and no. walk away. I feel you on that, dude. Yeah, no, we all yeah. hate listening to ourselves. Yeah. But you were on yeah, last true. time. You teased a couple things. And so tonight we're going to jump into a pretty crazy topic. Yeah, I think that would be a proper a proper title for it. Yeah, a crazy one. <laughs> and what, one of your favorites, right? Yeah. Um, favorites and most and the thing that keeps me up at night at the same time. So Wild. I'm excited. Real quick, uh, if you're new, uh, welcome. If you're old, welcome back. But if you're new, uh, Heather is Charlie's sister. And we would recommend checking out previous episode with Heather. Uh, and we also had another 3 p.m., uh, with Heather's girlfriend, Maddie. And, uh, that was also a great episode. And then another bonus episode with Heather and my other little sibling. Yeah. Oh yeah. Aiden. Yeah. Oh, that was a while ago. A long time ago. <laughs> that was back when we were in Kevin's studio, Kevin's bedroom. But yeah, <laughs> go ahead and check those out if you haven't already. Otherwise, Heather, take it away real quick. Yeah. Go ahead, Charles. Charles, you take it away. <laughs> um, Heather and I were talking earlier. Uh, the concept of fear and scary stories. Not every subject scares people the same way. For instance, for sure, some people terrified and obsessed with aliens. That's not my favorite thing. That's like my least favorite yeah. thing in the supernatural world. We all kind of don't jive with like orb videos. <laughs> yeah. But some people speak for yourself. Yeah. <laughs> we all three. But some people, yeah. it's like orbs are their life. This is. 
this is very convincing evidence. And I do not want to meet those people. <laughs> <laughs> Just kidding. Uh, but like, That's why I don't bring up my aliens around you, Charlie. <laughs> no, but like the, the question of like what truly scares you, right? For Sean, I think I would be right in guessing it's more practical things, right? Yeah. And me, it's like demons is kind of what truly scares me, like possession, losing control of yourself, whether that's like actual demonic possession or like mental illness, mm, like yeah. possession, yeah, like a uh, uh, mirroring possession, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, DJ, what's like the scariest thing to you? Anything that isn't understood. Like demons, we can read about them in, I don't know, there's like solely scripture. Yeah. And uh, I guess you could pray maybe. <laughs> but like things like when we talk about like glitches in the matrix Ooh, or like yeah. uh, doppelgangers or mimics. There's like no it's rules like, for that. There's yeah. What is that? Yeah. It's like from the future, you know? <laughs> so, so you must've loved radio rental then. Bro, I've only listened to a couple episodes of radio rental, but shout out. Radio rental. Yeah. I need radio to listen rental more. It's way good. <laughs> I know. DJ, you have to listen. Okay. <laughs> doppelgangers. I'll listen to your works. recommendation more than these guys. So. <laughs> okay. And then, Going along with that, what scares Heather the most? Like, what scares you the most? Yeah, so um, I think this, like, definitely has to go with me being a female, too. That has, like, a lot to do with it. But being raped, killed, tortured, mangled. So, like, the Um, real life danger. Yeah. Yeah, and I think, like, and of course, like, I know that not only females experience that fear but generally a huge population of our, us females do on a daily basis where it's like in our daily lives, we are looking at our surroundings, you know, looking over our backs, like while we're walking to our cars or um, noticing who's staring at us in a store, just being like, we always have to be like on the lookout for ourselves. So I think that's why there's a huge fascination in true crime amongst females as well. It's almost like an education game. Yeah. Um, so if we can learn everything about these crimes, then maybe we will be more prepared, right? It's kind of that anxiety where you're tricking yourself into preparing for something. So I'm anxious, I'm anxious, I'm anxious. And what am I doing? I'm trying to prepare myself to handle that thing I'm anxious about, mm-hmm. right? So um, that could be a huge factor into the into the true crime phase and fascination i guess especially amongst um a lot of females so but yeah that that would definitely be probably my biggest fear and ever since i was a little girl like i i was incredibly terrified of getting abducted um and falling to harm by a man Hmm. so yeah so to like put a uh maybe a a a title on it like serial killers, right? Mm-hmm. Killers. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Dude, um, we talked briefly about it, but like the idea of like when you study serial killers, the theme that comes up is like wearing a mask. Yeah. And they talk about it. Um, do you want to dive into that a little bit, Heather? Yeah, for sure. So like especially advanced killers, as we all know, realize that they need to play the game of society right so um who's the most one of the most famous figures of doing this is ted Ted bundy right so he figured out early on that he needs to be charming 
and he needs to be well spoken and um so his but every killer has like their own mask that they choose to wear not everyone has the same style so ted bundy's arrogant like very cocky very narcissistic mask got him by in the time he was a white male in the you know 70s or whatever and um that worked for him it worked for him on a professional setting and whatever so yeah a lot of like sociopathic and of course i have absolutely zero stance of speaking about you know psychopaths or sociopaths and what they do it's just something i've noticed like diving into all these stories but um sociopaths and and psychopaths especially sociopaths have this need to put on the mask to make sure that they are fitting in you know to make sure that they are maneuvering through their their environment as best as they can right without necessarily being exposed to what they actually are is that what you mean by playing the game of society Trying to blend in as, you know, sticking out. Uh, yeah. Like a sore Hus thumb. Like husband, um, a husband role of having a wife and kids. Um, Charlie, like, mentioned the BTK killer. Yeah. Um, where he was, he a, was scout like, a scout leader. Yeah. Oh, sorry. Go ahead. Not, sorry, like, Charles. No, no. He was a scout leader and, like, super involved, like, in his local congregation and stuff. And, like, a, a super common thing you hear is, like, I never would have guessed. Right. <laughs> And that, that theme is truly terrifying is like this thing could literally be a neighbor or like someone around us. And like, yeah. I don't know, do you have any idea, idea about stats? Like how many active serial killers they think there are? I think I've heard something like there's currently like 14 active serial killers like in the US. I'm pretty sure that's an old statistic. Yeah. It's far higher. Like, I think it's, I think it's far higher honestly and the um, chances of people who might like be entertaining those thoughts at the very least much higher oh you could there's guess there's so, probably so someone around you yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah yeah for sure for sure i think it's it's actually more i i think more common than what we would like to admit or to um recognize to be completely honest and i think that a lot of um people don't really know what to do if they see early signs like in their you know adolescent children so um yeah i think it's far more common i don't think it's as taboo as you know we think it might be mm. um i say we jump into it and i say you start wherever you want okay yeah cool so disclaimer oh yeah thank you and then i'll stop <laughs> interrupting no you're please interrupt me please okay my disclaimer or is like a listener discretion, um, strong language because I always have it. Uh, sexual assault, necrophilia, and quite frankly, everything horrific. That is my disclaimer for this beautiful tale we're about to dive into. <laughs> and then like uh, um, talking about this subject, if at any time we sound insensitive or whatever, that's not our intention. And we're not professionals, so we're just, like, doing our best. Because, like, these are real-life victims. Mm -hmm, right. So I, we never want to, like, intentionally or unintentionally misrepresent anyone. But anyway, there we go. Yeah, for sure. Thank you, Charlie. Because, like, I am very sensitive in my heart to being um, 
try to be as thoughtful for these victims and their families as I possibly can. And I may not deliver that uh, or may not seem like it all the time because sometimes I am very like robotic or very cold when I just like kind of spit some facts or spit my opinions. And it's 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 simply because I've been into true crime ever since I was a little girl, you know, like 10 or whatever. And so I'm used to watching, you know, forensic files and just hearing these horrific things over and over again. And um, I think when I repeat it back, sometimes it can kind of come off as a little heartless, but I can absolutely like attest that that is not the case. So mm. I just want to make that clear. No worries. Yeah, for sure. Okay. So basically I want to challenge you guys to listen to this podcast. Um it's one of the best episodes of anything I've ever heard in my entire life. And um, so on the Exactly Right Network, which is owned by Karen and Georgia from My Favorite Murder, uh, Kate Winkler Dawson has a few podcasts on there. Like, have you guys ever heard of Tenfold More Wicked? Mm-mm. Okay, she's a, she's a historian who writes about like historic true crime. She's incredibly intelligent and dives into the history of all these like old timey murders, which is amazing. She's an author, um, but anyway, she came out with another podcast called Wicked Words, and so this podcast I included it in the notes that I sent over to you guys. It has a little um, screenshot of what it looks like, and. In Wicked Words, uh, Kate Winkler Dawson interviews authors and kind of talks about um, their decisions on writing books and especially around like the true crime arena. So she's interviewing uh, Maureen Cullohan, which this author, Maureen Cullohan, she's an investigative writer and she wrote this book about a famous serial killer named Israel Keys. And so this episode... Have you guys heard of um, him? Yeah. Yeah. Okay, I added it to my list, too. Is he a cult leader? No. Then no. (laughs) Oh, shoot. Do you know anything about him? I've heard the name, but... So you know nothing about him, really? I'll probably recognize it as we go in, but off the top of my head, no. Interesting. I just wanted to see where they're at. Yeah, for sure. For sure. So... um, yeah, everyone's pretty much heard the name Israel Keys, and not a lot of information has been put out about Israel until, I think, in my opinion, um, Maureen Callahan's book called American Predator. So immediately I download it, the audiobook, listen to it. It's wonderful. So that is going to be my second suggestion to you guys and the listeners is to first go check out Kate Winkler Dawson's Wicked Words, episode 18, where she interviews Maureen Callahan. And then go download the audiobook. If you want to learn everything about Israel, the audiobook is is the way to go. So in this, basically, it's the what I'm going to do right now is kind of what I did last time where I watched a docuseries and then I just kind of retell in my own words what that docuseries is about. <sighs> if that's all right. I'm just going to go ahead and steal course, someone else's yeah. work and Please then do. retell it to you. Guys. Our whole podcast. <laughs> Perfect. Okay, cool. So in the episode um, of Wicked Words, when she's interviewing Maureen Cullohan, they just literally dive into a case about um, a girl named Samantha Koenig. So um, this is the case that Israel Keys was eventually caught on. So he was... um, 
He made a few mistakes through this case that I'm about to tell you, but this is the case, his most recent case, um, and it's Samantha Koenig. So Samantha Koenig had just recently turned 18 years old, and she's working in a coffee kiosk in Anchorage, Alaska. And in, the coffee kiosks in Alaska are actually so common that it's not unusual for young girls to be closing a coffee kiosk at night. It's, it's not an unusual thing. It's so much of the culture that it's actually very common. So she's doing her thing. She's closing up. You can see the surveillance video online on YouTube if you want. I also included a link in the notes if you guys ever want to watch it. But the surveillance video of the coffee shop, you see a hooded figure walk up as Samantha's doing her closing duties. Um, they're talking. He hands her a thermos through the window, which has no screen. And you can tell she's starting to make coffee for the hooded figure. After a few minutes, suddenly you see the muzzle of a gun. And she jumps back, throws her hands up. And then suddenly she just starts running around the kiosk and shutting off all the lights. Right? She's just doing what this hooded figure says, who has a gun pointed at her. A few more minutes goes by. It looks as if in one of the surveillance videos, a car is coming on the backside of this hooded figure and so he this hooded figure ends up leaping through the kiosk window has samantha on her knees um few more minutes goes by then she takes all the cash out of the register they go away he walks her off and that's the last you see of samantha right well come to find out wrong you actually end up seeing her later and we'll get into that so now there's a missing person, Samantha Koenig, right? So her boyfriend was supposed to pick her up from work. He was running about 10 minutes late. So he reports her missing to her dad and to the police. And the police aren't really taking this seriously at all. And here's why. Um, Samantha Koenig, let's talk about victimology really quick. She had a history with drugs. Um, her dad was reported to be a hell's angel. Um, let's see what else in victimology. Sorry, you might have to pause for a second. Totally uh, fine. Came, came from a broken home. So the police absolutely did not prioritize this missing persons case. And in fact, it was 12 to 15 hours after she had been abducted that they even looked at the surveillance video for the coffee kiosk. That's how unserious they took this so she's been missing 12 to 15 hours with one of the most insane serial killers that this country has ever known so keep that in mind um okay shortly after samantha's been missing her boyfriend starts getting text messages come in from samantha's phone so he's being sent stuff like i know what you did like coming from samantha's phone like, how dare you cheat on me? Like, I need a couple days to run away and get away. So this is now confusing the investigation because it, what it seems like, oh, and let's go back to it not being a priority of the police. They actually thought, the police thought that Samantha had planned this with the guy. So they're like, she's just a runaway and she's just running away to party for a few days. Is that after they saw the security? Um, No, that's that's... Yeah, that's a good question. It, it could very well possibly... Oh, yes, it is, Charles. Yeah, it is. That's wild. <laughs> yeah. That's 
stabbing and twisting the knife. <laughs> yeah. You know what? Before I go ahead and say like yes, one hundred percent. There is a. I don't want to speak on behalf of the Anchorage Police Department, but For sure. there is a good possibility that investigators at the time still thought that Samantha was in on this, mm. even <laughs> with the muzzle of a gun being shown in a video, because guns in Alaska aren't that hard to come by. Mm-hmm. Um, but you know, that's that's what I gather from that, and I'll tell you why I think that um, in just a second. But anyway, texts are coming in. Um, now the investigation's even more baffled because they're starting to get text messages from Samantha's phone, right? So she's been missing 12 to 15 hours. They see the coffee kiosk uh, surveillance video. Steve Payne, he's a he's an FBI field like a FBI agent in the in the area of Anchorage, Alaska. He reaches out to the Anchorage Police Department offering his services, saying, hey, I can I can help you out with this abduction. And they're like, nah, we're fine. We got it. <laughs> and he's like, all right. And then they, cool. see, then they see the surveillance video and they're like, oh, yeah, you know what? We actually could definitely like use your help, uh, you know, just to make sure, just to make sure, right? So the reason why I, why I bring this up is the book... American Predator is solely focused on the investigation of of this case. And in my opinion, human ego is a huge reason why a lot of cases are not going to be solved in the future. And those people who had the ego will have to live with that for the rest of their f-ing lives. Mm-hmm. And so there's just a lot of back and forth with ego and kind of drama in this. So bear with me as I sound sarcastic and salty. Tell tell how it is. Okay. Yeah. So I say here, human ego made the Anchorage Police Department say no. But when they saw the footage, they called him bas- back asking for Steve Payne's help, who's the FBI agent. Um, there was a lack of urgency and... They didn't even pull footage from the surrounding big box stores until about two and a half weeks after they saw the surveillance video. Now, what I mean by that is you would think after seeing a a video like that at the coffee kiosk, you'd go, okay, there's a um, there's an IHOP right across the street. Let's go see if we can see anything out of there. There's a Home Depot right next to it. They didn't even do that until two and a half weeks after the fact. So it's like they're way behind on this investigation for Samantha. Okay. Is there any way I can um, play like devil's advocate for the Anchorage police? Have they like, Please. is is it one of those cases where it's like a small town who hasn't experienced a lot of this? And so maybe they don't know how to handle an, an investigation or is that not the case? I don't think that's the case. Anchorage okay. is like fairly larger yeah. at this point. I think. And, sorry, and what they, year is this? I'm sorry. Do you know the, the date or the time? This is like yeah. So it's February 2012, February 1st, okay. 2012, yeah, that this uh, abduction occurred on. Okay. And um and also they have a FBI office there in Anchorage. Okay, so and never so mind. I they would can imagine handle. that yeah. it would be f- like not not like small farm town kind of thing. Okay. Yeah. So it's negligence. And ego. <laughs> and ego. Yeah, I think so. And and the like the community there to um 
Obviously, I can't speak for it because I've never lived there, but according to Maureen Callahan, she's very like, the people of Anchorage are very like, leave me alone. It's none of your business. My gun's my land and don't even ask me, you know, about anything. Hmm. And so um, that's just kind of like that that does have a lot to do with this case, I think, too, because after they pull the surveillance video from the big box stores, they see that Samantha Koenig made multiple attempts to run away from Israel. They, she was running with her hands zip tied behind her back and he tackles her and there's people all around. This is a major avenue of four lane traffic both ways. They're in the middle of a of a parking lot in IHOP and and Home Depot and no one and there's people surrounding them and no one did anything. Which is just it just has a part to play in yeah. in the catastrophic disaster of what ended up happening to Samantha is the culture of like don't ask, don't tell kind of thing. Mm. So part two is now we're several weeks later past the abduction of samantha and the boyfriend and the dad get a text coming in that just says connor's bog park under photo of missing dog they get this text they call over to the fbi field office but they end up beating investigators there they look behind the photo behind the photo of the missing dog and there's a baggie with a ransom letter and a photo. We we have that photo. Can we pull that up on our end while you talk yeah, about it? Or, yeah, please try try to, because I want to describe this photo to you really quick. Okay. What? All right, so the photo displays a girl looking at the camera, hair braided, Ugh. makeup on, with someone holding up a newspaper dated um, February something, 2012. February, what, 12th, right? 2012. And the ransom note requests $50,000 to be deposited into Samantha's account. Oh, by the way, by the way, within these two and a half weeks, not only are texts coming through from Samantha's phone, but her ATM card has been going off, depositing, you know, $500 or $1,000 here or there in the Anchorage area. So they're just missing this guy. They're surveilling all of the ATM you know, ATMs that they possibly can, and they're, like, barely missing this guy the whole time. Then it goes dead. The ATM the ATM card goes dead. They're like, oh, crap, you know? <laughs> like, it's almost as if, like, that's kind of the only way they can, like, really be on this dude's trail. Then about a week later after it goes dead, it hits in a small town in New Mexico, okay? And they're like movie moment where they're like what how suddenly has all this activity been going on in anchorage and now we're in new mexico so investigators call down to new mexico they put out a bolo which is a be on the lookout for the most generic (laughs) description in the world which is tall white man so sean watch out (laughs) can't go to new mexico (laughs) <laughs> they have a bolo out in Texas saying, look out, look for, out for a white dude. White <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And they're like, great. You know, we're not going to get anywhere there. So they're kind of tracking this card. Now it's crossed the border into Texas. Okay. After New Mexico, it immediately crosses the border, pulls five, another $500. They're just trying to track this card as best they can. So FBI 
from Anchorage gets involved with FBI in Texas and they're like just totally communicating saying you know we just need you guys to be on the lookout because we see this activity coming on Samantha's card so at this point and sorry real quick at this point yeah uh are authorities thinking like they they know for sure like this is a a real thing like without a shadow of a doubt like they don't think like the ego ego's not in the way anymore or are they still um, pretty like are they still blaming the ego's girl not in the way anymore and i'll t- i'll tell you why in a little bit okay. um but they are taking it more seriously for sure in fact but at the same time though they had a lot of issues it got it dives more detail into the book um that they had a lot of issues with the father during this time like not believing that his intentions of finding his, his daughter were real um so there was a lot of back and forth between law enforcement and and actually putting in a ton of effort into this i would say like fbi was super involved ah yeah okay so the card jumps across texas starts talking to anchorage and they're like let's work together yeah definitely so this field agent in texas this fbi field agent she ends up working with one of the um, Texas Rangers and she's like you know what we might as well let's figure out the radius of this ATM card like where could it where could it be now you know based off of the radius of like where it was last used they narrow it down to a little tiny town called Lufkin Texas so they head over there and they're like on a whim we're just gonna see all the hotels and check the registries if there's anyone from Alaska staying in any of these hotels, right? Dude. And there's one. So now they have the room number. They've seen the guy. And they have surveillance on this room. So Meanwhile, they, mean sorry. Meanwhile, there yeah. is a hostage somewhere, right? Like the girl is yeah. alive. So that's they have to find this guy. Yeah. So, so yeah totally Charlie. like tensions are high like they are just watching this guy they can see that he's he's stand he's standing on the balcony looking down and you can see him kind of put together that he's being followed and he immediately turns around and just grabs his bags and just starts walking to his car he's done with the room he's done with it he's walking away right so they're on the phone with the anchorage investigation and they're like he's leaving he's leaving they know that Highway 59 is about three and a half minutes away from this hotel. And if he hits that highway, he can fly and they'll, they won't get him back. They probably won't get him back. So they have. Because if he a, crosses state lines, right? Well, well, they could probably, but he could fly though and potentially lose them. Uh, it, it's a matter of like, this isn't like Los Angeles where you have helicopters and like you're, you're never going to lose the police in LA they'll always be on you Ah. right this is like a a country highway where you can do like 120 and and possibly end up like losing them let's say it comes across let's say you beat the police to a exit and they don't know whether or not to take the exit or to keep going gotcha right right yeah. yeah so they're like if we're gonna get them we need to get them now so the FBI or sorry, the Texas Ranger is on the phone with a detective who's tailing him, and he's like, I don't care what you pull him over for, but find something. Just find something to pull him over for. So they're stopped out of light. The light turns green. We're about, like, two minutes away from the highway now. And 
he goes three miles an hour over the speed limit. He flips on his lights. <laughs> He's like, this is a reason. Technically, technically, he is speeding. Right? <laughs> He's going three miles an hour over. And Israel Keys stops for him, stops for the cop who's pulling him over. And the cop ended up saying later, like, I cannot believe he stopped. <laughs> like, we're so lucky because there is really no reason why I was pulling him over. Except it being like three miles an hour over. This show is sponsored by BetterHelp. We all carry around different stressors, big and small. When we keep them bottled up, it can start to affect us negatively. (sighs) I have benefited from therapy in a way that it's allowed me to feel a lot more light, lightness in my heart, my head, my emotions. If that's something that you are needing, if that's something that's missing, uh, give therapy a try. Give BetterHelp a try. Uh, We want to hook you up um, by getting it off your chest Uh, and it be a little lighter on the wallet. Uh, Go ahead and visit betterhelp.com slash 3am and you can get 10% off your first month. Again, that's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P dot com slash 3 a.m. Ohio is a land of mystery. From missing shipwrecks and lost treasure beneath her surface to strange phenomenon slicing through her skies. From myths that have evolved around historic events and people to the unsolved murders and disappearances that keep her communities wondering what happened. Find Ohio Mysteries on your favorite podcast app, and let's explore the inexplicable. OhioMysteries.com So anyway, um, they end up finding the ATM card on his person. Well, so he just straight calmly pulled over? Yeah. And, and he he did his best. So it goes more into the book of what actually happened when he's pulled over. And from my memory of the book, there was quite a bit of back and forth before they because like you casual can't just chatting? search someone. Yeah, yeah. So there was quite a bit back and forth between Israel and the and the cops, but they were not going to let him go. I mean, um, I can't remember exactly how it how it ended up happening being a. A permission to search and seizure because I can't see Israel doing that. I don't think he gave them permission to. But um, they ended up finding... So however that went down, go read the book because she'll tell you. But they end up finding Samantha Koenig's ATM card on his person in his wallet. And then they found um, her cell phone dead in the trunk of his car. So he's being now extradited to Anchorage, back to Anchorage, Alaska, right? To start the interrogations for why do you have the ATM card and why do you have her cell phone? And where is she? And where is she? Yeah. So this is the most critical part of of the investigation because if Israel Keys would have kept his mouth shut, they literally would would not have anything on him except for those two things, which means he would just be facing fraud charges. 
So as an investigator, as an FBI agent, you're saying to yourself, then I need to get him to confess. <laughs> yeah. I need him to think that we know everything and scare him so that he starts talking. So And real quick. Yeah. Like Heather has already told us this is one of the craziest serial killers of North America. But like think to them, they just think it's a guy who might have a girl somewhere who's yeah. committing fraud. So they have no idea what they have on their hands yeah. at this point. Yeah, and like yeah. Heather said, they have to get him to confess. And that's a good point, Charles. That's exactly why he gets extradited back to Anchorage because they tried to interrogate him a little bit in Texas and they realize that this is not a normal guy. He is not rattled in the least. He's acting as if we pulled him over for jaywalking when he has a missing girl's ATM card and cell phone in his trunk. Mm -hmm. So they're like, yeah, you know what? On second thought like original anchorage fbi why don't you take this one <laughs> because like he is not normal um so yeah that's a good point Charles. so now here's where human ego comes most into play the fbi can lie to him and they could say like we know this and we know that and scare him like the fbi can come in and say oh we have your fingerprints in a house when, like, they absolutely don't. Mm -hmm. um, but who cannot lie is a prosecutor. So the federal prosecutor walks in and says, this is my case now. Because it's now so, like, high profile. Oh. Okay. <laughs> and they're like, the FBI is like, no, 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 no. That's going to be a huge mistake. And let me tell you why. You won't get him to crack. You can't lie to him. And we we need to find Samantha. So please have us do the investigation. And he's like, nope, career making, career making case, it's my case. And they're like, ah, yeah. So all of that politics is going on simultaneously while trying to balance getting this information because we need to find Samantha, okay? I've never heard a story where the politics in the background of everything is like just as... Uh, dramatic dramatic as the actual kidnapping you know dude i feel like it happens a ton yeah it, yeah, it makes sense but, but it yeah. sucks it sucks so much i'm frustrated right now <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> definitely so um okay so basically what ends up happening is they end up s telling israel we'll cut a deal if you confess to Samantha, we'll take the death penalty off the table. And at first, Israel's down for this deal. He's like, fine. As, you know, because keep in mind, Israel has a 10-year-old daughter at this point and a girlfriend. So he's like, yeah, all right, take the death penalty off the table and I'll confess to Samantha. Cause, and also, Israel was requesting to speak to the FBI because he hated that lead prosecutor. So he was like, I'm not going to talk to you. I'm going to talk to them. So that ended up actually working in the favor of the investigation because they were mm. able to convince Israel that, that he was going to be convicted for Samantha's death either way. And so if Israel's ego, his own ego didn't get involved there, then they wouldn't have, they probably wouldn't have gotten yeah. anything for Israel. So here's what ends up happening. This is Israel's account of what happened that night, okay? He confesses 
to Samantha's death. Death. He took her out. Um, so after walking her away from the kiosk, he goes into a lot of detail of them kind of driving around. And this is more in the book, not in the episode. But they drive around, smoke cigars, and they're just kind of hanging out, right? Where he actually starts end up liking Samantha, um, according to him. He gets her into his shed at about one in the morning. Keep in mind that he has to get up at, in about five hours and wake up his daughter, take a cab to an airport, and go board a cruise out of New Orleans. He has five hours. His timeline is so tight that the FBI literally was not believing a word he was saying. So he takes her out into the shed. He has the radio on loud. He's waiting, waiting, waiting for his girlfriend to fall asleep. This is what ends up happening. <laughs> he realizes that he doesn't, like, have Sam's ATM card, so he has to go back to the kiosk. <laughs> goes back to the kiosk, breaks in, yes, goes and gets the... Or, sorry, that's not where the bank card was. It was her phone at the kiosk. So he has to go back to the kiosk, break in, get her phone, come back. Then he's like, where's your ATM card? And this is all happening while Samantha's tied up in his shed. And she's like, oh, my boyfriend and I share a bank card and it's in his truck. And he's like, great, where, what's the address? Runs to the boyfriend's house. The boyfriend is there after not picking up Samantha and dealing with this whole missing, missing persons bit. The truck is parked on the driveway and Israel breaks into the truck and the boyfriend comes out while he's breaking into the truck grabs the bank card and then the boyfriend and him just kind of stare at each other and the boyfriend israel didn't know whether or not the boyfriend was going to do anything and the boyfriend ends up turning around to go report it right so he ends up not charging israel israel books it goes goes to the bank realizes he doesn't have the pin so he goes back to the shed goes and talks to samantha writes the pin number on the back of the card i mean like now he's down to hours before he has to leave right so the timeline is just getting tighter and tighter and he's facing all of these difficulties throughout his night that he needs to, that he's messing up on, quite frankly. He's he's sloppy about. So waiting for his girlfriend to go to bed, checking on his daughter, waiting for her to fall asleep. Um, now they're running out of time. So he rapes Samantha and um, and then he strangles her. And then he was... A little weird about this and all the FBI interviews, but there definitely was some necrophilia involved with Samantha, unfortunately. Does he deny it? Um, he gets he just gets weird about it. So it's like he doesn't want to answer blatantly. Mm -hmm. He just gets weird about it. So and like he only wants to talk to like this certain female investigator about it. It's it's all bad. Um so you can you can hear a lot of that in the book for sure about don't that want to. conversation. That's enough for me. <laughs> yeah, uh, I don't want to dive into it like any more than that. But um, and then he leaves her in the shed, and he and his daughter only uh, take a cab to the Anchorage airport, fly on out to New Orleans, and hop on a cruise for about two about two weeks, about twelve days. And the investigators were like, well, what did you do with Samantha's body? Now, keep in mind, guys, this is the night of the abduction. Mm -hmm. So the whole ransom photo, they're just learning right now. Wait a minute. The ransom photo wasn't even given to us until about 12 days after the abduction. Like, how, how does that work? It had a newspaper, newspaper date. Yeah. 
think in your mind exactly. in the photo. Just she think of the photo, like what it looked like before Heather continues. Looked very alive. Right. So this is where what's baffling investigators. So they're like, wait a minute, wait a minute, back up, back up. Like, what did you do with Samantha? And he's like, well, I just left her in the shed. It was like 20 degrees in Anchorage. And I knew she'd be okay. I knew that my girlfriend wouldn't go check on her. Like, she's not allowed to go into my, my space or, you know, look on my things or whatever. And so when he gets back... um, from the vacation, he took some makeup. Some of it was Samantha's. Some of it was his own girlfriend's. Made up Samantha's face, braided her hair. She's dead. She's frozen. And then he takes some fishing wire and needle and he sews her eyes open. And then poses her. And then takes a multitude of photos, actually. And... Um, and then writes the ransom and does the whole bit with the boyfriend and the dad. And then he prepares the body for dumping. Like right after um, he takes the photos, he starts cutting her up and making it easy for a dumping. So he ends up getting, giving investigators, like while he's confessing to this, he gives investigators exact coordinates to one of the deepest parts of the deepest lakes about 40 miles away and they're like oh no she's been dumped in a like in a fishing hole because in alaska as i'm sure you guys know they do a lot of like ice fishing where mm -hmm. you can just like create your tent around you right and then be in a hut for days on end fishing mm -hmm. like by yourself out on the ice so like what a perfect quote-unquote way to get rid of a body um you're just completely concealed you can have whatever you want in those tubs that you bring with you and you are alone in a tent and um so that's what he did to get rid of samantha's body so he ends up giving the exact coordinates to the investigators it's this whole thing in the book it's this like special dive team from like down in la they have to come up it's a whole thing mm -hmm. there's a lot of politics in that too they end up recovering Samantha's body, though, thankfully. So they did confirm that it was her. Wow. Um, now, this is kind of where it gets crazy, too, because now they're like, <laughs> so now they're like, what the actual, f you know, like, we wanted you to admit to Samantha's death, death and you are like on another level of thought out, meticulous, like, yeah. You're just on another level of like this is not your first. This is not your first. Yeah, this is absolutely not your first kill. This is not your first time doing this. There's no way in hell. And so now they're in this weird dance of we have to let him know that we know about more, but we have no names, we have no bodies, we have no details, but we have to let him know so that he talks about it, right? Mm -hmm. So now they're really in a tough place. And um, after he confesses to Sam, he kind of gets in Israel, kind of gets into these fights with his defense attorney. And he's like, you know what? I changed my mind. I want the death penalty. I don't want to go through with this. And I want it fast. He's like, he's like, I'm not going to be on death row for years on end. Like, you're going to give me the death penalty within a year. What like, the... I want to be dead with... I want this all to be over. I don't want my daughter... He has all these conditions. He's like, I don't want my, do my daughter to know anything about me, so no media. No stories about me whatsoever. 
He's like he's like the prince of fucking serial killers. Do they do they kind of have to give him what he wants because they need information? Because you that's okay. that's where it gets tough. Because uh, the FBI could say, "Yeah, we could do that for you," because mm. that would be a lie. But the prosecutor can't promise that. Right. So they're like, <laughs> they're just in a really tough place with that. Hmm. So. He wants the death penalty. He wants it fast. Um, he goes, look, I'll give you two bodies and a name if you give me the death penalty. Like, I want it back. And they're they're like, okay, cool. We'll do that. So he, he like, pulls up an iPad and he gives them exact coordinates for this barn house in Vermont. And it's the couriers. Bill and Lorraine Courier. I'm not going to dive into this case. Um, it's horrific. It's absolutely horrific. And when I, like, Charlie, you know me, I listen yeah. to a lot of I'm terrified stuff, that you don't like it. And I almost threw up, like, listening to the book and the details of what the poor, you know, what Samantha and the couriers went through. Um, so he kind of goes into a lot of detail about the couriers, and they're taking him pretty seriously because they go out and they check, cross-check all of these facts. And what he's saying is pretty spot on. Unfortunately, he couldn't. We they couldn't recover the bodies of the couriers because he was so good at getting rid of bodies. So, so at this point, okay. they realize they have like a full blown monster. Yeah. Yikes. Yeah. Okay. So Israel is now realizing after the couriers, he's like, "Oh my gosh, they know nothing." And he's like, now I have all of the power because they don't, they need me. He's literally so, playing them. Yeah. So yeah. hard. So he gets the, or sorry, he gets the freaking New York Times sent to his cell every day. He has internet access. Um, he tried, yeah, he tried to commit suicide one time and they had to put him in the psych ward. They bring him back and they zhuzh up his freaking cell. They always give him a, cig a cigar and a, and a Snickers every interview, like every time he wants to talk, you know, it's just like he he just goes into this ego trip, Israel does, because he's like, I have everything that you need kind of thing. And you obviously want to know about me kind of attitude. And eventually it all comes to an end. He ends up killing himself in a cell and leaves behind so many unanswered questions and um so many open cases like literally it's the most disappointing thing because if one freaking federal prosecutor <laughs> oh 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 i need to be careful but Allegedly. truly though like if if egos weren't involved and if politics weren't involved like i'm sure that i I'm sure that there could have at, less, at least been an attempt to close some of these cases. Mm -hmm. And now well, I don't see any way that that can happen. Um, so that's kind of a basic rundown of the story of what got Israel caught, which was really interesting, which is a bank card pinging, which you would think someone so organized, meticulous, would and thoughtful. Would have thought of that, yeah. Right. Come to find out in the book, he was going through a lot of like personal stuff at the time. And I think he 
he just tripped. He was you know? like berserking. It was just like a trip. Um, so thankfully he tripped, right? Right. But but uh, yeah, it's just interesting that like he claimed. I think he was embarrassed, honestly, because at first he claimed that he didn't know that bank cards could be tracked, and everyone was like, "Bullshit." <laughs> yeah, um, 2012. So he tried that one because he was embarrassed. So. Okay, I do want to tell you guys a little bit about um, what happens for for Israel, according to his words, when he was like feeling the urge to kill, and and this is kind of going back into what is so incredibly scary, Charles. The reason why I picked Israel for being one of the scariest is because he doesn't seem to have an MO, which is he doesn't seem to have a preference in victimology. Like, um, whereas like Ted Bundy, brunette girls with the hair split down the middle, tall, educated, coeds, right? Mm -hmm. Um, that was his type. And so if you were tall, brunette, with your hair parted down the middle, you would probably cut your hair short and dye it blonde in order to feel safer. Yeah. Am I right as well? Like it is insanely uh rare that a serial killer kills like outside of the race or you know what i'm saying like it it's usually within rare. race and they don't cross race and it's like usually age specific like there's so many things it's so specific hmm. yeah israel yeah. had like no no he ain't got rules no type. yeah he ain't got no type male female old young weak disabled fully strength didn't matter he was an opportunist killer it was literally about the hunt more than the hunted and that's what makes it so incredibly terrifying because as a female, it's scary being a target. But what Israel, what Israel's kind um, kind of brings to the world of true crime is now you guys get to be scared too. It's just like everyone's on the same yeah. playing field. Yeah. Yeah. And like there's this one story, for example, where Israel was on the hunt one night and he um, was sitting in a parking lot of an apartment complex and he sees this kind of like, you know, fit guy getting out of his car and it's pouring down rain. So this guy like puts a newspaper over his head and he's kind of running to his door and Israel's on his tail. He's like, he's mine tonight. <laughs> like, And he's like. If that guy was five seconds slower, he would have been mine. In fact, that was the, I'm pretty sure that was the same night as the couriers or the same time time period. Oh, he had to move on to a different target. So like the guy got inside and shut the door and Israel was like, damn. But like that's, yeah. how, that's how, so kind of explain his process. He would fly into random places, like all totally. that shit. Yep. Can you explain so, all that? Yeah. Yes. When he felt the urge to kill. He would fly in. He would fly out of Anchorage, um, where he was living with his girlfriend and his ten-year-old daughter. Fly into a major hub like Chicago or whatever, New York. He'd then rent a car, and he would go on the hunt, which is his words. So he started unearthing all of these kill caches or kill kits, right? So real quick, um, can I tell a little yes. bit? Israel yes. created kill kits. Mm -hmm. that he hid all around the u.s mm -hmm. and canada maybe i don't know who who knows who knows mm. uh to this day 
people are coming across him. So this hiker was like hiking, saw like a little cave, went up to it, sees the top of a bucket and opens it up. And there's like gloves, rope, gun, knife, duct tape. Something Damn. Like so Israel's kill kits are all around the U.S. So he would like, he would literally just fly out to bury these and like keep track of where they all were. So yeah, he's landed. He's got a, he's got a car. He goes, grabs his kill kit and then he goes on the hunt. Exactly. Yep. And he would unearth these kill caches or kill kits, um, like Charlie explained, of what they contained. Um, guns, ammo, zip ties, Drano to accelerate human decomposition, um, wads of cash. He ended up getting all of this cash from bank robberies around the United States. He was a huge bank robber. And he would rob banks... Um, to come down from the high of a kill, right? Well, so like for fun after. Because and then another side. He just needed that feeling again. Go ahead, Charles. Sorry. Um, another side note, Radio Rental recently covered a story of a lady. That's where I heard the name. That's where I heard his name. So Radio Rental just covered a story of a lady. Go listen to Radio Rental. Go listen to the story. It's way better hearing it from her. But the gist is she's driving. She gets turned around. She's in a one-way road and she flips her car around and there's a guy in a truck or like a car. And she gets really close to him and they make eye contact and the guy is wearing a wig. He's wearing a fake mustache. Yeah. And they make eye contact and she said, she said just like pure evil feeling. And she took off. Later she found out she had ran face to face into Israel keys after he robbed a bank. <laughs> and like that was, yeah, you can see the photo of him and his fake mustache that she's referring to online. If you Google his name. <laughs> so, um, wads of cash would be in these buckets. Um, and all the other items that were kind of mentioned. So he would have his now this, what this shows is, incredible thought into the process right i mean he's flying into a major hub he drives for hours and hours on end into somewhere different and not only that he became an expert at getting rid of bodies and always crossing state lines to get get rid of bodies too that makes it federal that that stumps a lot of local investigators not going further out of their jurisdiction Mm -hmm. um, for a missing person's case so what it ends up doing is leaving a ton of missing person's cases open and not being solved because the investigation is just not going further a they don't have a body and b the body is cross lines that they don't know of right so they're like we, we can't go any further than this right so um you end up finding out through a lot of these interrogate or like interviews with keys that he had kind of a master plan going on um but he would do these kills to in the meantime of this master plan, which was he had kind of two major thoughts to this master plan. One was that he was going to travel around the United States as a contractor or handyman and capitalize on the frequency of natural disasters. So Katrina's, um, you know, hurricanes, tornadoes, because who's ever going to wonder if the woman or man going missing was from a serial killer or from the natural disaster. Mm-hmm. So he's going to capitalize on that opportunity to kind of feed his compulsion. That was 
a part of his master plan. Another part was that he was planning on setting a string of, uh, or a f setting fire to a string of churches across the United States. So killing these victims, staging them in very like shocking and taboo poses within the church, and then ending up setting the churches on fire. Um, in order, literally just in order to create national fear and national panic. Um, so he wanted panic on a major scale, uh, not just these individual as well. So wild. Um, that definitely shows like a tremendous amount of anger, you know, <laughs> in, in someone. Um, so let's kind of like touch really quickly on the background of Israel because before this podcast episode came out, I hadn't heard much about the background of Israel Keys. And to be completely honest, like, the FBI is not super forthcoming about a lot of details, but we do know some. So, Keys described his parents as cultists. So, his words, not the words of Ma Maureen Callahan or, or, you know, anyone else. Um, he describes them as cultists. So, we end up finding out that he is one of 10 children, okay? He and his older sister, so he's number two, so his older sister is named America. They were born in Utah and grew up in Utah until about the age of five for Israel. And his parents were Mormon, but they were super, super odd. So they're cultists, they, they were known as nomads. They were hopping around from cult to cult. Um, ended up getting into the Mormon church. They had their two kids, but never let the kids go outside. The kids didn't have, I mean, the kids were born in the house. They didn't have social security numbers. They didn't go to school. And so they were like, eek. They were um, homeschooled? All, all these Mormons are getting really curious about our babies. We need to get, get out. So, because they didn't want um, CPS to be called on them. They leave the Mormon church. They head out to uh, Colville, Washington, which is a mountain town. Mm -hmm. And they literally live in the woods. So um, I think his name's John, who's the dad. John ends up uh, saying, you know what? I'm going to build a cabin, but it takes him years. The, the family are, they're literally living in a tent in the freezing cold winters of Washington no heating, no electricity, no plumbing. And even when the cabin's built, no heating, you know, just fire, <laughs> no electricity, no plumbing. So Israel has to learn how to hunt from a very early age. He's the oldest boy. And so from a very early age, he is illegally hunting animals so that his family can eat. Mm -hmm. So um, just, just a tough start. <laughs> A little bit of a tough start for Israel as far as like, it's not very traditional, <laughs> I guess you could say, growing up in a cabin, having to hunt so your family can eat and like no school or anything like that. Okay, so they join a white supremacy group called dope. the Ark. Dope. This is where... <laughs> dope. Just <laughs> great moves. <laughs> this is where Israel... Um, becomes friends with Chevy and Shane Kehoe. <gasps> Chevy and Shane Kehoe, which those names sound familiar. Yes. Okay. The Kehoes. They end up, 
Yeah, the Kehoe brothers. They end up becoming the top 10 FBI most wanted on the uh, top 10 FBI most wanted list. One of the brothers ended up having ties to um, Timothy McVeigh, who was the Oklahoma City bombers. And okay, so it's just this whole little destructive clan. Mm -hmm. Um, Interesting side note. Can I interesting side note for Charlie really quick if he wants to go into a rabbit hole? Okay, Charlie. Yep. When Israel Keys was extradited from Texas to Anchorage, they had a mysterious stop in Oklahoma City. I still don't know what it's about, but why did they mysteriously stop in Oklahoma City when he's friends with Chevy and Shane Kehoe, who has ties to the Oklahoma City bomber? Mm. Don't know. Dude, MK Ultra. Just look into it. <laughs> Maybe. Look into it for me. But I just found that interesting. Um, anyway, so he's around 13 or 14 when he becomes friends with the the um, Kehoe brothers. Now, okay, at an early age, Keys is starting to grow his interest in breaking and entering. Um, from any anywhere from like stealing guns to literally just moving furniture and hiding and watching their reactions when people come home. Like he's just developing his interests in terror. So he's torturing, Aunt, I mean, classic serial killer. He knows from a very early age that he is different and that he's a killer. So here's what he ends up doing to fill his time. He tortures animals. He sets fires. He breaks, uh, he breaks into people's homes, steals their possessions, moves their furniture. He trains himself for hours on end in the middle of the woods to stay still and to not make a sound. And he's starting to realize, I am really good at hunting animals. I can probably hunt people too. So he he starts realizing this from a really early age. Another note for Charlie. His yeah. dad ends up dying from somewhat mysterious circumstances. So you might want to look into that later. Bruh. <laughs> he killed him. We don't have time to go into it. It's just so much. Like this case is, this guy is so, like we can do 40 different parts on this guy. It's, there's so much information. Um. Okay. So then we're still on the background of Israel and his upbringing and whatnot. So, um, just an interesting little tidbit about his background, too. He had one sister because he was one out of 10 kids. He had one sister who used to do like the same kind of stuff he liked being like torturing animals and stuff. And when the FBI asked him, like, what happened? Um, why didn't you like proceed or whatever? He said because she couldn't keep her mouth shut. So he learned from like a really early age that he needed to wear this mask he needed he needed a wife and daughter he needed to not talk um he needed to blend in uh so he became a contractor just worked on homes and was an opportunist killer and he he did it for about well they they think his first kill was when he was pretty young um up in colville washington and then he did it all the way up to when he got caught with Samantha. So the FBI, if you look up Israel Keys online, it says he's responsible for 11 murders. It's 
in my opinion, the most bullshit number ever. And it's literally because in all of Keyes' interviews, he kept saying less than a dozen because he was just playing with the FBI the whole time. So what an odd phrase, less than a dozen. So the FBI decided on 11. 11. <laughs> yeah. So, um, but there's no way. I mean, this guy's, he's he was so advanced from an early age in terms of killing and being in a mind state to kill where he was like learning detail and learning how to adjust i i highly 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 doubt it is 11 is there any um predictions out there maybe from professionals or, or you know what i'm saying definitely so in the book american predator maureen Callahan goes into a lot of possible cases and it's exciting like names you'll freaking recognize so I highly recommend going into it. Like, I don't know if you've ever heard of the Boca Killer, um, but he's probably the Boca Killer. So yeah, like read the book or listen to um, Kate Winkler Dawson's episode because they do kind of dive into a little bit more of possible cases that might be, you know, quote unquote, his responsibility. But can they put a number to him? Like a ballpark? Do they think it's like 50... They didn't I'm have not a, sure. They have no idea. Well, I'm not sure. Okay. I don't know. Maybe I missed that when I was listening to the audiobook. Um, for some reason, I'm not remembering like no, a no number. Hmm. How old yeah. was this dude when he died? Um, I think he must have been 30. Gosh, she said it on the episode when I re-listened to it today. Early 30s? Yeah. Prime yeah. age, boys. Uh, what are you saying? Yeah. We're all in our early thirties. I want to just put this out there too. To, Sean's getting real uncomfortable to, over there. Why? In an effort to put it out there, prove that I'm not a serial killer. Because <laughs> oh, okay. there were a lot of similarities. Saw you getting fidgety over yeah. there, living in the woods in Washington. Living in the woods in Washington, moving around all the time. Homeschool, ton Literally, of family. I just bought a random ticket to somewhere tonight. Um. Oh yeah. <laughs> I just, before we started recording tonight, I said to Charles, I was good at putting on a mask for people. That's super incriminating. You're doing a good job at defending yourself. <laughs> I'm, no, this is what I'm saying is by putting it all out there for everyone to see, they're going to be like, oh, he's not a serial killer because he's being honest. Or about is that it. your mask? And then <laughs> like literally before you said it, I was like, you know, a good idea would be like natural disasters going around to those and like taking care of people in the middle of those. I'm not a serial killer, okay? Here's the thing. We've all taken the test. What test? Once you've taken it, you can't take it again. Yeah. Like, oh, yeah, a, yeah. It was obviously like if you're, just... Never mind. Sean. Anyway. You know what that proves to me, though, for real? Yeah. What? You should probably go into the FBI and become a criminal profiler. I, sh I probably should. And they're you just like, what? Sean, what would you do in this situation? <laughs> Sean's like, oh, I would uh, stab them in the eye and hide them in the ceiling. And they're like, there they are. Oh, shit. Yeah. It's like a Dexter about, situation. It's all about outsmarting them. And Dude, you I should. Like you should consider it. I'm, I am my, Yeah, mine's it. like Sean's, like where you have the mind for it, but you're not a killer. Like, I'm I totally like, get that, right? If there Where were it's one like, or two things that went differently, I might have been, like, one or two things that went right for me that turned out to not make me a serial killer. Yeah. Right, right. Yeah, and that's, I, I face that a lot, Sean, within myself. Like, why am I so interested in this? Like, what the, 
F is wrong with me or like how can I catch those details really early on or like how can I watch this mystery and kind of know the outcome already because yeah. I'm like in the mind of the killer. Mm-hmm. Um, I face that a lot too, but it's all about outsmarting them. There's nothing wrong with understanding. There's everything wrong with acting upon. Right, like, yeah. You know, those things. So, um, or like inflicting harm upon another human being. Like, obviously that is unforgivable. Oh, Sean's yeah. a teddy bear. We're good. Yeah. Not a and teddy bear that, either, but sure. not a but serial killer. Your mind so. could be useful, like... You know, in in terms of like a criminal profiler stance. Hmm. I'm gonna look into that for real. I'm going Dude, to. do it. <laughs> you got it. They do they do recruit a lot out of like BYU, like for the CIA or like because um, Mormons are very honest mm. and trustworthy. Not to Don't blanket lie. any group of people, but <laughs> yeah. Just saying. Just saying. Okay. Well, I'll look. I'm gonna for real look into it. But I wanted to put it out there that I'm not a serial killer. Well, so. thank you, Sean. <laughs> you convinced me. <laughs> is there anything out there that speaks on Israel being caught in Texas, pulled over? Did yeah, he so know? I think there's actually a YouTube video you can watch of it. Like, he, yeah. he knew. He's like, this is it. This is the end of my career. Yeah, so like his mom speaks to that a little bit. When she watched the video of him getting arrested in Texas, she was like, I could see it in Israel's face that he knew it was the end. Wow. Like it was the end of his life, for and, sure. And where are, uh, yeah, where's his family, his girlfriend, his daughter? Right, okay, so um, his daughter must be close to like 18, 19, there were no signs of like her being sexually abused or anything, which is like pretty crazy and astronomical. A lot of people in their lives said that there was a dramatic change in Israel when his daughter was born. And even the most like cynical FBI agents who spent the most time with Israel genuinely believed that he loved his daughter, which, which is, is really interesting. That's like yeah. one of the most bizarre things about Israel's case. Um, it sounds so like I'm schizophrenia not sure. or like bipolar almost like you have you can shut off a part of you maybe not shut off but like there's just multiple personalities where yeah compart compartmentalizing or like yeah um yeah definitely for sure and probably a master at that but um or not a master rather but very very good at, Mm -hmm. at doing that but as far as i know um you know i don't know much about his girlfriend or his his daughter but i do know that his mom and some of his sisters are still like cult cultists mm-hmm. um and he was actually visiting family while he was in texas and so he was like <sighs> behaving super weird around his family his mom and his sisters one of his sisters was getting married down there and he like ended up disappearing for like a crazy amount of time while he was down there before he ends up getting caught. It's it's this whole thing in the book. So um, maybe like later in the future after I re-listen to the book, DJ, I'll text you and just be like, hey, this is a little more detail of like um, what his sisters and his mom are up to and like what happened that night or that week while he was in Texas. Um, but as far as listeners go, definitely go download the book or go buy it. Mm-hmm. Um and read it because or listen to it it's it's super educational and very factual so do you have anything to like 
conclude or surmise your thoughts or I don't know, wrap up like this episode? Yeah, I've been, th yeah, I've been thinking about that. Like, how do I say, okay, thanks for letting me like kind of ruin your night. Hmm. Um, yeah. But I think what's important is, although it is a major fear, like this, this kind of killer, this killer that we've never seen before, um, who doesn't have, you know, a pattern, a motive, it's completely random. It, it's weird how, like, learning about Israel has literally changed my life. I look out my window at night a different way. And I think it's just good for people to keep in mind that the more we educate ourselves and the more that, like, the good brains put their heads together, the more we can figure out, like, how to hedge against these killers because I don't think evil will ever die, to be completely honest with you. I think it'll always be a battle of, you know, balance in the world. And so male and female to be open to learning about this stuff not only to honor the victims and like what they went through because it's almost like a hunger game sacrifice where it's like you know you've added to this story to this information if samantha koenig didn't go through and endure the hell that she endured that night i really wouldn't be learning that there is this type of human out there for for me to watch out for israel very well could still be at large you know oh yeah yeah they they asked Israel, who's your favorite serial killer? And he said the one um the one you haven't caught yet. <laughs> Meaning there's one right after me who's much better, much faster, and will do it much better than I did. So um I guess it's just to say like always be on the lookout for one another, too, because um yeah, I just feel bad, like, Samantha did try her hardest to not be put into that truck. So, like, you know, look out for yourself, look out for others, put your minds together, like, and, like, figure out a way to be more protected against these kind of offenders. Um, yeah, it's just incredibly tragic, but I'm grateful for, like, the sacrifice so that I can learn more about this so that I can hedge against it myself and try and keep like myself or, you know, the loved ones around me protected more, you know, that there are people like that out there. So I don't know really how to conclude it other than that, just for listeners to, it's okay if you're into this stuff, you know, and, and whatever your reasons, like it's okay. And you're not weird if you figure out a murder mystery because you're in the head of the killer you know it, it's actually incredibly like skillful um as long as of course certain boundaries aren't crossed or like certain lines aren't crossed of course yeah definitely thank you so much for having me on guys like i hope i didn't bore you with a very tragic case no, <laughs> no. it's good to okay. hear these two because i think they bring us back to reality they kind of ground us and remind us of like because we so often can tell scary stories and we can talk about these things and they're fun and lighthearted 
and sometimes people die in them and it's like you kind of are emotionally disconnected from that but like to hear mm-hmm. a true story of you know one girl's like last moments mm-hmm. and then like mm-hmm. hear the effects of that and like i don't know it just like reminds you a little bit of like the reality of things i don't know if that made sense but yeah totally like totally. this shit can be real too not just mm-hmm. spooky stories around a, a fire so right remember right. that balance and remember your boundaries and things like that for sure but also like you for said sure. data mine recognize patterns and and you know if this helps one person avoid any type of predator then like you've you've brought goodness to the world you know what i mean mm-hmm. yeah and oh, in the case man, of yeah. uh israel keys uh he was one man and caused so much destruction and forced teams of investigators and authorities and uh, just resources and money uh, to go into everything that he caused. Mm -hmm. But on the flip side, I really think one person can, can make a difference just by educating themselves, being aware, looking out for Mm -hmm. each other. So definitely actually kind of like as you're talking about that I'd, i i want to like add that almost to the sign off is like look out for each other because <laughs> we talk about like you know protect yourself and stuff like that but like the the ripple effects won't show like israel keys mm. and that's like the good thing uh you know like, so like you, you might, might help one person and but you will never know if that avoided israel right yeah, yeah. i know what you're saying and fortunately you know that's good yeah, yeah, yeah. it's a good thing but, um yeah. but yeah, it, it's easy to maybe get into the spot where you're like, I'm not doing anything or this is useless. This is my responsibility. Yeah. But because there are no effects, that's a good thing. Hmm. I don't know. That's yeah. how I'm taking it. But anyway. Anything from I you, Shani? <laughs> uh, well, there was one thing that I thought was kind of, this stood out to me when you were talking about how uh, criminals have an MO and mm-hmm. like they go after a certain kind of people. And like another thought I had was, well, more and more people are more like Israel keys now. And Mm -hmm. those are the people that they haven't caught yet because they're statistically there's an MO and And they recognize that. I don't think there's an MO probably for more serial killers now. Mm. Oh, absolutely. With that like Sean. And that's like, it's interesting because I'm sure you've had this thought. If I were to guess, I'm sure you've had this thought like earlier than right now. Right. 100%. Yeah. I think we yeah. all did. Like Say, you hear about Ted and you're yeah. like, oh, I would just switch up yeah. my kill. Mm-hmm. For sure. So absolutely 100% agree. I think there's going to be a whole, you know, group, a whole different breed, should should we say. And that comes with the times too. Like, you know, there's a lot of similarities within time periods, of like mm-hmm. types yeah. of killers and um, like... Uh, oh, well, now they they can track fingerprints, so we got to change up our, you know. As technology advances, the human brain has to advance in order to keep up with how to combat that technology. So, you know, never leaving a scrap of DNA is almost literally impossible, so now it's a matter of not getting into the system at all. Anyway, it's a whole thing, right, where it's (laughs) like... It's just always We're going to see a whole different breed, and, and soon, I'm sure. But at yeah. the same time, like, if I'm not wrong, I feel like murder rates are down, right? Because it is so easy to catch 
right? Am I wrong? Okay. I, I wouldn't could... necessarily say murder rates are down. Um, there's always like high murder. I would say advancements in technology definitely has have or has um, contributed to the number of caught killers. Yeah, but you know there is like uh, as we're talking about. I just don't want to end it so bleak. So like killers, um, their tactic tactics and stuff are getting better, but also like technology, technology, has, and yeah. I think. FBI and local PD, they're all learning that like, yeah, the ego does F everything up. We have to work together. Right. Oh yeah. And so like totally. databases. I mean, we're seeing and... that now with, with familial DNA, right. Mm. With oh, yeah. mm -hmm. the golden state killer being caught. I mean, um, one, the Visalia ransacker, the golden state killer who we, th it was very possible that it would be another, um, Zodiac situation mm -hmm. where it's like we're gonna have to live for the rest of our lives not knowing who this person is but now investigators like paul holes are outsmarting <laughs> the system oh. and and now the dna pool has gone from who's in the system and codis to who's put in their dna to figure out where they're from yeah. we can capitalize on this right so mm -hmm. there's always going to be advancements and there's always going to be fluctuations and um caught killers versus not caught killers right yeah but you have to keep in mind that the the ultimate killer is already thinking of this and already figuring out how to combat those fluctuations how to combat um future stuff that could pop up i mean we're talking like very high iq intelligent and predictive people who when you're only reason or your only like reason for living is to hunt or to kill like you study your prey right and you dominate them mm. so terrifying it is so always keep that in mind too where it's like yes we are making advancements we are going to like catch more we are we are going to be better but it's always going to be a fight yeah always so unless we were in a you know, CCTV kind of situation where you're constantly being watched and all that. We're not getting into all that because it's America, so yeah. we're not even going to touch on it. But, but you know what I mean. Like, unless everyone were watched, mass surveilled. I, I, yeah. 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 Well, dude, that yeah. that is Israel Keys. In a nutshell. <laughs> Which is weird. Very so many other killers get so much shine and like you know their names they're like household names which is like a perverted and morbid thing to think mm -hmm. but israel's mm -hmm. like like not well known unless you're in the world of true crime yeah you know? right i'm so right. curious as to why it's recent like it's born during the time where it has the power to become viral quickly mm. and reach high temperatures of virality but i don't know I think that's coming. I think that's coming down the pike. Um, I'm sure there's going to be a ton of documentaries about it. And like, Me too. you know, yeah, yeah. It, there's going to be a ton more on Israel yeah. um, in the upcoming years. But I also do believe that at the time it was probably a part of the deal, you know, with between the prosecution and the FBI uh, to keep, it to out keep of Israel's wishes a little bit to kind of keep the media down as much as possible about it. That makes sense. Yeah. Wild. Dude, you did it again. 
beautifully dense. <laughs> like, thank you. Yeah, I love it. And beautifully packaged. Thank you so much, Heather, for for all of that work. For real. <laughs> Thanks for coming on Dude. and being patient and uh, yeah, teaching us about Israel and like just predators in general. Mm-hmm. Yeah. No. Thank you, guys. And by by no means am I like. I feel like a sham a little bit because I have like no freaking grounds to be talking about like, you know, um, like in no way am I an expert. It's just I'm super, as you can tell, passionate about this topic. So I appreciate you guys giving me a platform to come and like share my ideas and share um, something that like genuinely makes me happy, which is talking about having an open discussion about these things mm-hmm. yeah. and sharing ideas. You know, I love that. So thank you so much, you guys, for, you guys were patient with me. I don't know what you're talking about, me being patient with <laughs> no, you. No, it was great. With me <laughs> setup, so. Our credentials for, I don't know, soliciting advice or like giving our two cents. <laughs> zero. Zero. <laughs> yeah, I only apply to us. And we said at the very beginning when we started this podcast, like we really yeah. just have fun, you know, doing this thinking about these things, studying these things on our own, sharing it with our friends. If anyone else wants to tag along, they're more than welcome. Take it or leave it. Yeah. Uh, right. But yeah. Cool. All right. Let's wrap okay. it up. Heather, thank you yeah. so much. Boys, I love you. Listeners out there, thank you for yeah listening and being a part of us. Uh, we appreciate all of you out there. And hopefully you know, you took away something from this episode that might protect you or you can share with someone around you. But with that, uh, bye, lovey, be safe. Trust your gut, watch your back. Be careful out there. Look out for others. Let's go. Thanks, sis. I love you. (laughs) I'll call you after this. Love you. All right. Sounds good. Thanks, guys. See you, everyone. Thank you. Love you. Hey, thank you so much for tuning into this episode of 3AM. If you want to support us, visit our Patreon where patrons have access to exclusive content. If you're not able to support us monetarily, don't worry. This episode is on us. You can still rate and review us on whatever platform you listen to us on. It really does go a long way. You can also follow us on social media. Our handle everywhere, including Patreon, is the 3AM pod. Finally, do you have any scary stories? If so submit them to our website, the3ampodcast.com. We love any audio or visual aids that can help bring your stories to life. So file uploads are welcome with your written submissions. We're anxious and excited to hear from you. Hello, this is Dr. Grande, the host of True Crime Psychology and Personality. On my podcast, I explore and explain the pathology behind some of the most horrendous crimes and those who commit them. We discuss topics like narcissism, psychopathy, sociopathy, and antisocial personality disorder from a scientifically informed perspective. What is a narcissist? How do you spot a sociopath? What signs can you look for to protect yourself from these dangerous personalities? It's not just about the stories, but also the science and psychology behind them. So if you're interested in true crime or mental health, I'd encourage you to give my show a listen wherever you get podcasts. Hi, this is Amy and Vanessa from She Goes by Jane, where we shine light on the stories of missing and unidentified women. On November 7th, we're sharing Nahida's story for the first time in a podcast. And this is a story that I thought I knew, but after reading police reports, became more complicated than I thought. 
When investigators are called to Nahida Khatib's house, everything looks fine. Her purse is on the kitchen table, her cup of coffee is on the counter, and her two-year-old niece is in her playpen. The only thing amiss? Nahida is missing. Every week, we feature a poem written in honor of the person we're talking about. This week, we're joined by one of our favorite actresses. You might know her from Sister Act or King of the Hill or The Descendants. But if you're like us, you'll know her from Hocus Pocus. She's the much-beloved Kathy Najimy. Join us November 7th to hear Nahida's story.